Hey, this is Ryan Thomas. Thanks so much for listening to On the Road and supporting Faith Radio. You are just the very best, and we appreciate you so much. Enjoy the show. Discovering stories of courage, determination, and hope. Welcome to Faith Radio's On the Road. Now, here's Ryan Thomas. Mr. Mark Stewart was lead vocalist of the hit-making Christian rock band Audio Adrenaline at a time when CCM exploded in popularity. They sold out stadiums all over the world and sold millions of albums. But after almost 20 years, Mark's voice began to give out. When doctors diagnosed him with a debilitating disease, the career with the band he'd founded and dedicated his life to building was gone. Then, to his shock, his wife ended their marriage, and Mark believed he'd lost everything. But this was not the end of the story. The journey to greater purpose than he'd ever known was about to begin. In the gripping, compelling new book, Losing My Voice to Find It, How a Rock Star Discovered His Greatest Purpose, Mark shares his extraordinary journey and urges readers to listen for God's voice and embrace all he has for us. Welcome aboard, good sir. What a joy to have you here. How is the day progressing for you, Mark? It's been a pretty um, pretty crazy, awesome day today. You know, I got to have breakfast, I'm my book is out. It's for sale. And I'm getting a lot of responses from different people. Oh, I just met with one of my buddies that I get to help mentor. And he read the book and he was crying over coffee. This is really cool to just see God using um, something that I was able to create again. It's been a long time since yeah. I've done that. So it's been really cool. It's been a great day. You opened the book uh, with a look back at your earliest years and explained that your dad was both a preacher and a singer and that you learned about God somewhere between those two. What did that look like for you, sir? Well, first of all, I just like the way that sounded. You know, <laughs> it sounded cool, but my dad, he was an intellect. He was um, he's one, just a brilliant dude, uh, scientist. Uh, you know, kind of, he's a professor of physics and chemistry, but then he became a pastor, and he was a singer. Wow. But it took all those things to really speak to me as a young kid. Um, and I think God uses intellect, and he uses um, wisdom, but he also uses music and emotion. And in my dad, I saw both of those things um, being used at a high level. And I saw God in between all those things. And I think because of that is the reason I fell in love with, with Jesus at an early age was because my dad didn't focus just on one thing. He used his brain and his heart. And um, that's how my dad spoke to me and encouraged me to be, I guess, a preacher, uh, for lack of a better term, uh, using rock and roll music. Uh, I didn't stand behind a pulpit. That's, I haven't done that yet, but... Uh, that's kind of how he influenced me with both preaching and music. When we talk about the loves of your life, that explains your love for God, your love for Jesus. How would you say you fell in love with music and just this power of what a song could do and what it could be? Well, I think all music is, I mean, music is created by God. It, it, it's a eternal, divine uh, form of communication that transcends the spoken word. It unlocks the heart. 
kind of ushers us into a divine place, like at the throne or the foot of the throne of God. I fell in love with music because it it moved me. My first worship experience that was like legitimate. I remember it like it was yesterday, where I was ushered into uh, just the divine place with the Lord because of worship music. And that moment still resonates with me today. And standing on stage with audio for the years that we played, it was a remarkable supernatural event that happened almost every night when you would stand in front of thousands of people and connect with them and you would connect with God and you would hit these guitar notes and drums and we would all celebrate together this moment of pulling back the curtain and kind of getting a peek of heaven. That's what music does. There is something inside that journey with Audio Adrenaline that really might take many of us by surprise when we pick up the book. There's this clear and recurring theme here of feeling like an imposter. And for instance, you say Audio Adrenaline Rock from a nothing to lose place of desperation and a fear we'd be discovered as the imposters we often felt we were. Where did that come from? First of all, we, we weren't the best band in the world. If you know. <laughs> um, we, you know, we were, we relied a lot on kind of duct tape, if you will, if you will. Um, you know, we, we were a four piece, you know, at times we were a five piece and our first tours were with DC talk who had, you know, more dancers than we had musicians. Um, so we were a lot of our, our, musical career we were intimidated musically by our peers that's one way we felt like imposters we felt like we kind of snuck into this the the whole reason we had a record deal was because we we had we recorded a song called my god that was a rap metal mixture and we couldn't get a record deal as a regular rock and roll band until we did this joke of a song called my god and we got a record deal So the fact that we even had a record deal was kind of a card trick. And we were like, what just happened? Um, And then we had to become something that we weren't uh, for the first record, first two records. Um, So we felt like imposters. We we felt like we snuck into the party. We we weren't supposed to be there. We weren't good enough musician-wise. And then from a spiritual aspect, and this is me, I can't speak for the other guys in the band, but, you know, I was the main songwriter, the main speaker if you will and there's times i guess most a lot of people feel this way in ministry but you just feel like you're inadequate um spiritually to lead people you feel like a hypocrite sometimes walking on stage um talking about the goodness of god when there's moments where you didn't you weren't sure you believed that god was still good and i you know i believe that he could be good for other people but not for me you know, when you mix all that together, there's moments of real, not confusion, but disconnect yeah. um, between your heart and your head when you're walking on stage. Well, and that can, be a, that can be a lonely place when there's thousands of people that think you have it all together. Yeah. But in reality, you're, you're scared to death of being found out. Oh my goodness, that makes that's going to make so much sense uh, to so many people, and and hold on to that as we listen to this because that will be significant uh, as we go forward in this story. But we're talking with Mark Stewart, the co-founder, longtime lead singer of the CCM Staples Audio Adrenaline. He authors yeah. the new book, "Losing My Voice to Find It: How a Rock Star Discovered His Greatest Purpose." And 
as we move forward in this, another one of the strands of this story that becomes so significant is this lifelong love that you have for the people of Haiti. And it actually yeah. began as a teenager, right after your parents moved there to serve as missionaries. And you explain it was children singing there that you heard that would then become the inspiration for one of your your biggest hits, Big House. Is that right? That is correct. Yeah, as a missionary kid, you know, well, I was a teenager. I, you know, I guess I was still a kid, but um, there was a song that kids across Haiti were singing. And it was, there was an American version of it. This was the, the Creole version. They would sing, uh, Do you want to come with me to my father's house? There's joy, joy, joy. And I wasn't too young to pick up on the irony of these kids who had nothing living in literal shacks. Some of them without even fathers singing about a mansion that their heavenly father was preparing for them. It was there kind of amongst the poorest of the poor that I saw the gospel being played out in a different way that became even more real to me uh, at a young age. And that, that coupled with an old Bill Gaither song that we used to do in Muppet shows <laughs> when I was a preacher's kid, um, kind of became the, the essence of Big House. Um, you know, as a kid, as a preacher's kid, I, I couldn't wrap my head around infinity. And this part's in the book as well. But the idea of heaven really just didn't sound that good to me. You know, um, hell was even worse. <laughs> but I'm like, I don't really, you know, want to walk around on, you know, metallic streets. I want to play football. You know, yeah. I want to be a kid. Yeah. I don't want to have a cold kind of, I guess, non-lively existence. So I wanted to write a song that captured the joy that I thought um, God wanted us, how he wanted us to view heaven, which was a, a party where everybody's invited to just partake, partake at the table, uh, to play football with our dad and our brothers and our sisters. And, and I, I think it became an anthem of the 90s. You know, it was the biggest song of the 90s because of that. I think a lot of people were just like, man, let, let's look at heaven like this. And that song's outlasted everything we did. <laughs> um, and to this day, people still, kids are, they think their youth pastor wrote it. I'm like, no, nope, we wrote that. Now, as I look back, you know, hindsight's 2020, I can see how God gave us that song uh, from a Haitian children's song and a whole career of almost 20 years only to end up uh, fighting for kids, you know, mm. and, and Haitian children, even after audio drill is done, and using that platform that God gave us through that first children's song in Haiti. How cool is that? How poetic <laughs> is God, the author of our story, to come up with stuff like that? He's amazing. When you just look over just the the incredible arc of this thing, I mean, it does bring a tear to your eye, just the incredible goodness of God. I would love to ask you a little bit more about Big House, the refuge that that you, your band, your family established there for children in Haiti. I would love to ask you some more about Ocean Floor as well, but but we will come back to that if we have a moment. I'd want to make sure and ask you this. When did you first start to experience difficulty with your voice? How did that initially start to make itself known? You know, I first lost my voice in about 1995. I was at a youth pastor's conference. And for some reason, 
youth pastors back in the 90s were the craziest concerts we ever did. <laughs> like, they were just like, oh, we're going to go bananas because it's, it's 3,000 youth pastors, and they all were just trying to out-crazy each other. <laughs> so we're like, all right, well, we'll get a little crazy, and I'm like up there rocking, and literally my voice dropped out, and it, it quit working, period. I couldn't sing. I couldn't talk. I couldn't do everything. That was the first moment I ever experienced it, and it was frightening. I started to get um, that moment. I started on a journey of taking uh, prednisone and steroid shots. Um, some other singers in the industry were like, hey, you need to go see this doctor or this vocal coach or this doctor, and they can hook you up um, with a shot that'll take the swelling down in your vocal cord. That led me into about a five-year period where my voice was, insane it, it was like it was invincible i felt like steve perry or rod stewart <laughs> or something <laughs> like it was broken and raspy but i could still sing mm. anything i wanted to and there were moments where it would be a little rough but the roughness and the vulnerability but the power was still there and then in the, at about 2002 um i i began to realize or my voice started to quickly diminish. I started to lose the range and lose control of the voice. It was still really raspy, but the power was gone. I started to rely on Tyler, our, you know, our main guitar player who had a pristine voice. We would sing back and forth and we would, I would lean on him uh, to sing the choruses if they were supposed to be kind of beautiful and powerful. Sure. And then I would sing the verses which were usually more introspective and vulnerable. And, um, but that, you know, that's part of the book too, because then God used both of these voices, one, one broken and one beautiful to kind of represent our need for grace in these songs like ocean floor, where I would sing about the mistakes I've made and he would come in and sing your sins are forgotten with this beautiful voice. And it just made great music. Um, but so around 2002, I realized there was a bigger issue. I started to really get worried. You know, people were watching my voice in the, in the industry really start to diminish. You know, I'd go to doctors more often. They would say, you can't get more shots because it's going to damage other things. And then people were praying for me, anointing my, my voice, my throat with oil. And God didn't show up. It my voice just got worse and worse until eventually I lost everything. My voice, my band, my marriage ended. And, you know, I hit rock bottom. I was depressed. I didn't really know what depression was, but I just isolated, got really jaded and angry. And I don't know, I just, at that point is where I really felt like God let me down. I still believe in God, but it was only more or less as a, as a judge and a jury. And um, I believe that. You know, I was saved, but I didn't think God had good things for me. What it was was a suffering existence of just waiting for heaven, you know. And then everything, some other things happened. <laughs> you have to read the book. <laughs> Best setup I've ever heard right there, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> if you're just tuning in right now, this is Mark Stewart, the co-founder, longtime lead singer of the CCM Staples Audio Adrenaline. He authors the new title, Losing My Voice to Find It. How a rock star discovered his greatest purpose. And as we follow you at this point in the story, I mean, this really is just this 
this dark night of the soul, <laughs> but this inflection point is about to come out, out of all these expectations that have totally changed out of that marriage that comes to an end, this career that is no longer an option that you felt would be that, that future and that purpose. How on earth does this all bring you back to this place that you loved so much to the country of Haiti? I found myself here in Nashville. I still live here in Music City. And the issue with living in Music City is everyone here is a musician. You know, <laughs> want to hear a good song, go to Starbucks, and I ask the barista to sing their latest <laughs> hit. You know? um, but I'm also, you know, going to church and in community, uh, you know, at that time with all my peers. You know, as my career ended, I had no kids with my first marriage. I'm lonely, and everybody else's careers were being blessed. Toby, you know, with Toby Mack, Michael Tate, you know, Switchfoot, bands were still just doing great. And I felt insignificant. I became more invisible, more abandoned by the God I'd been serving for 15 years. That's how I felt. So I started to go to Haiti uh, to visit my mom and dad who were missionaries there. And there in Haiti, I, I really didn't think about me. I didn't have time to think about me. It, it felt ridiculous to think about my lost musical career when the people around me were just trying to survive on a day-to-day basis, just to get food. Um, and they're amongst the poorest of the poor and people who were really desperate just to survive. They were desperate for God for survival, not for a, another Grammy or a hit song. They were desperate for tomorrow's breakfast. God started to um, heal my heart and give me purpose again. Um, and when we we connect with the least of these, and I even hate to use that term, we're connecting with royalty. We are in the presence of Jesus because that's where he hangs out. Yeah. And that's where my heart started to be mended. And then there were some other pretty big miracle moments where God kind of pulled me out of the funk that I was in. And um, where he showed up supernaturally in different moments just to remind me that he was, he was good and that he was beyond good. He was in love with me, that he was romantic for me, enough to, to do these intentional things that only he could do uh, inside my story. And because of those things, and you can read it in the book, I started to move back towards God and his goodness. And then... He was like, Mark, I, you know, I didn't, I didn't take your voice because of punishment, because you, you know, like you were, you weren't perfect or whatever. I didn't end your career because, uh, you know, I w- wanted to punish you. I, I am a jealous God, and basically, he told me that I wouldn't, that he doesn't suffer anything to get our attention. Not a marriage, not a career, not a voice anything. And really all he wants is us to be desperate for him. And I found that there on the other side of the dark night of the soul there in Haiti. There's so many incredible, incredible strands to follow in this story. But, but one of the most incredible is this circle that you square where you find yourself there in Haiti in January of 2010, when that just awful earthquake strikes. But 
in the midst of this tragedy, you're able to give voice to people and to their yeah. needs uh, in the aftermath. You're on CNN, MSNBC, BBC. I very well remember seeing you live uh, from the island back then. How did that come about and what did it mean to you to be able to do that with that beautiful irony that God was using the very thing that had deserted you in a sense so very recently to do that? You know, in the moment, uh, the the irony wasn't, it, I, I wasn't aware of it. I was just like, you know, doing what I could do in, in the midst of a, one of the worst tragedies in the history of the world, you know, 200,000 people died in that moment. Um, and my wife and I, my mom and dad were there and we were working on our adoption of our two kids. The irony, I didn't pick up on it. It was all over. Everybody else picked up on it and people were saying, man, and even people were like, you know, that didn't even know audio drill. We're talking about how broken my voice was and how tired I must be. And I'm like, now I'm not, I'm, it's just the way I sound. <laughs> you know, I was almost offended. <laughs> my voice sounds like this every day. If I sleep eight hours or four hours or whatever, my voice sounds like this. But it, honestly, when I look back is when I see God's hand moving in these poetic, ironic, supernatural ways. And then your story, as you look back, you can see how God pieces it all together and how every moment was a divine moment. And, um, you know, and that's the beauty of our testimonies. And I, I would encourage anybody out there, the last two years I've been writing this book, and when you, when you look back at your journey with God and you take the time to really dig into it, the stuff that you recognize when you look backwards and you watch the love story that God has played out in your life, it is unreal how romantic and intentional he is. And that, I really didn't didn't even think about it then. It's just when you look back. And that's why we should tell each other our stories. That's exactly why I think God does that because we forget and, or sometimes we don't notice. But when you look back, hindsight's twenty twenty. And you can see God plain as day uh, showing up. Man, oh man, it is so true. Such truth, such hope. This story that is told in Losing My Voice to Find It, how a rock star discovered his greatest purpose. Mr. Mark Stewart, co-founder, longtime lead singer of the CCM Staples Audio Adrenaline. Uh, sir, we don't want to go anywhere without saying if, uh, obviously, the book available wherever fine books are sold. But if people do want to start the journey on the web and learn more about what you're up to these days, where should they go? Uh, I have a website right now called MarkStewartMedia.com. MarkStewartMedia.com. From there, you can jump off. You can order a book. You can reach out to me and send me an email. We can chat. A lot of I'm doing a lot of speaking right now. I'd love to come to your church and tell the story, encourage your, your body believers. But another thing that, that you can do from there is follow and link to the Hands and Feet Project, which is a passion of mine and will always be a passion of mine. A burden that I carry till the day that I die is to walk with the people of Haiti, especially the young people there, the kids that need help. And you can partner with us uh, with the Hands and Feet Project and sponsor a child you can give, you can help us hold a family together, you can help us provide jobs. Uh, that would be one of the most tremendous things I, I could ever ask for is just a, people out there to help uh, love on the, the people of Haiti, especially right now. Haiti's in a 
the the world doesn't really notice, but if you were to dig a little deeper right now, they're they're on the kind of the brink of a a crisis, and they're in a, a political turmoil right now, which could lead to a humanitarian crisis that they haven't seen kind of the likes of for maybe two decades. Uh, the earthquake was big, but this was this would be um, this as far as like food and shelter and the inflation costs are just right on the edge of going, getting really bad where people can't survive. And uh, we definitely need your help there at handsoffeetproject.org. You can go to Mark Stewart Media and find all that link to the Hands of Feet Project and how you can help there, which would be fantastic. Just so, so touched by the story. So incredibly grateful to have the chance to, to meet you verbally, to speak with you today. Uh, one more time, the name of the book is called Losing My Voice to Find It, How a Rockstar Discovered His Greatest Purpose. Mark, it was really a treat to be with you here today. Thank you so much for your time, sir. Ryan, I appreciate you, and it was an honor to speak with you. I'm gl- I, I hope this book can touch your audience the way um, I, I guess it touched me, you know, digging into my story. I didn't really... I don't know. I was kind of numb to it, but now I can honestly say God uh, carried me and moved in miraculous ways. And I'm sure he's moving in your listeners' life too. Just take the time and seek out how God's moving and, and just celebrate him today. Such a great place to end it. God bless you, sir. Keep up the great work, okay? All right. Thanks, I Appreciate it. Thanks for sharing in the story of this latest episode of Faith Radio's On the Road. For more on today's conversation and the full podcast archive of all our episodes, look for On the Road when you visit MyFaithRadio.com. Thank you so much for listening. Programming like this is available through your support, and you can learn more about partnering financially at MyFaithRadio.com. We'd also love to hang out with you during the week on Facebook and on Twitter. Just search for On the Road with Ryan Thomas. Talk to you again soon.